Face, like warmed up. Super serious. Where nothing fun or funny ever, 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 ever happens. This is a super serious thing. I don't even like dogs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Super <laughs> Serious Dog Podcast with Courtney Cuellar, myself, Michelle Bulitsky, and we have a really super special, amazing guest. His name is Glenn Cook. He's a good friend of ours. Um, he has his own podcast called The Canine Paradigm. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it numerous times. Uh, he also owns Pet Resorts of Australia, so it's a boarding and um, is it training as well, Glenn, or is it just boarding? I don't order. I sorry. I don't own it. I need to jump just, in here. I don't own it. I'm the general it. manager of the, of the group of companies. Okay, okay cool. You're a GM. So my yeah. bad. Um, and then he also is the New South Wales state coordinator of the NDTF, which is the National Dog Training Feder Federation. Is that right? Yep. National yeah. Dog Training Federation. Yeah. And he's also he's a very busy guy. He's also on the board of directors for the IACP, um, which we've also talked about on the show. So mm. welcome, Glenn. Thank you. How do you say last name again? Say it for me. Bielitsky. Bielitsky. Okay. That's uh -huh. great. I've always, I always have tried to pronounce it and thought I'm doing this in injustice. So I'm glad you said it for me. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's, it's fun. Everybody always asks me, where's the S or the Z? And I'm like, don't worry about it. It's <laughs> Polish. It's Polish. Yeah. Um, There's so many alphabets in Polish last names. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, a lot of C's and Z's and yes. um, W's, a lot of W's, a lot of a lot of consonants, not not mm. tons of vowels. <laughs> and and Courtney, how do you say your last name? Quayar. Yeah, that's that's different than what it appears in, in yeah written it context. Where does that come from? Where's where's the origins of that? Uh, it's uh, Hispanic. It's from Mexico. Hispanic. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, Glenn, I have an icebreaker question for you. Sure. After I just tried to interview both you guys on your, on your surnames. Dude, it's yeah. going to happen. It's yeah. We're 100% okay with that. Um, so yeah, cool. <clears throat> you can do this for, this is a question that involves your dogs. So you can do it for all of your dogs mm -hmm. or you can do it for just one of your dogs. It's up to you. Okay. So which of the following best suits your dog and why? Wizard, warrior, witch doctor, shaman, rogue, hunter, or druid? Oh, you really throwing me a, a World of Warcraft question at me. <laughs> I, did. Cuff. I did. <laughs> Glenn used to play World of Warcraft way back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He's I got now, addicted to it. Seriously addicted to it. So not to, you know, drudge up your past and your addictions, but I'm bringing up your past. <laughs> it was about okay. your dogs. Yeah, fair. it is. It's well, we've managed to tie my addiction into dogs, which is another addiction that a lot of people have as well. So, uh, I guess Randy, I would like to say that he's a warrior, he has a warrior spirit, but he's mm. also very comical as well. Um, so I would, hmm, so he's sort of like a bard warrior, then, yeah, he's, he's a dual class, you know, yeah, he's <laughs> well, kind of more like a hunter. Okay. okay. I have to say, yeah, I'd probably put him in a, he's, he's, he's tied between a warrior and a hunter. 
Okay. All right. But he's also, yeah, he's a bit of a bard as well. Like he's, he's got a very jovial side to him. He's a, yeah. he's a very sweet dog. He's very powerful, but he's also um, quite a sweet, fun loving dog as well. That's awesome. Um, Ladybug would have to be, I guess uh, she would have to be, I'd probably put her in an elven class. Okay. Um, and go through the classes again. I really need to pick that one out for <clears> her. <throat> So wizard, warrior, mm. which you could argue mage is different from a wizard, but, you know, whatever. Yep. Mm. Um, witch doctor, shaman, rogue, hunter. Druid. Rogue. 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 Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely a rogue. Yeah. So for, um, for our listeners, Ladybug is like this super adorable um, French bulldog that looks really similar to a bigger version of the dog that was sitting in Courtney's lap last week or the week before. What, one oh, previous episode. Previous episode. Little Luna. Little Luna. She's so cute. If you saw Luna, you'd probably cheese real hard, Glenn. Who's Luna? Who is she? She's a little, she's a 12-week-old Frenchie that I have for a board and train right now. Oh, so cute. Yeah. I'll go get her later for our Patreon episode. I'll hold her. Yeah, we need to look at her. Yeah. It's Patreon content right there. Yeah, Absolutely. So, Glenn, I, I kind of, you know, told everybody a little bit about you, but why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners kind of how you got into dogs and dog training? Because nobody ever starts out as a dog trainer unless they're extremely lucky, and which me and Courtney are extremely jealous of those people. Um, but yeah, how'd you get into dogs and dog training? It, if I really search back, like I really dig back into the history of why I did it, it was primarily through my uncle, uh, a guy called Lee Cook. And he, my uncle Lee was my childhood hero. He was, I think he was the first person, um, apart from my dad. I mean, most people idolize their dads, but my dad left when I was about five years old. So mum and dad split up when I was a young kid. Um, and my uncle sort of really filled in a huge hole for me when I had needs of, of a father figure. He used to take me out. We used to go fishing and hunting and do all the fun uncle stuff. But he all he was always into, you know, um, hunting and, and retrieving and so forth like that. So he had a Weimarana called Rani and he used to teach her how to retrieve ducks. And that was, you know, I mean, whether you like that sort of thing or not, it was still an acceptable pastime. People still do a lot of hunting and so forth. And my uncle was a hunter. So he used to take me out and I was a little kid. And I, my job was to pluck them and prepare them because he didn't shoot them just to wing them and kill them and even right. there, we actually ate what we got. So my job was to um, pluck them and prepare them. So he used to show me how to do all that sort of stuff. But I used to watch him go out um, into the into the um, wild and, uh, you know, like set up all the decoys, shoot the duck, then the dog would swim out, retrieve it and bring it back. And I was just absolutely fascinated at the level of control he had. And, uh, you know, even though you're a little kid and your interests are all over the place, you're so sporadic and you, mm-hmm. your mind's fragmented onto everything about the world. Um, because he was my hero and because he was doing those sort of things with dogs, I was just really intrigued. And I and being a pain in the ass kid, I used to sit there and give him, why? 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 That's what asked, every kid yeah. asks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I'd ask him the million why questions like, how did you do it? Why has this happened? How does the dog know how to do it? And rather than just placate me and just give me, you know, like, um, answers just to, to shut me down. My uncle would explain things to me. Like he actually sat down and, and told me why things were happening and, and how the dog worked. 
And he took, you know, like when you first see it as a child, there's a lot of mysticism about it. It's like, yeah. you know, seeing magic for the first time and thinking, you know, this isn't just a sleight of hand or an illusion. Like it's real, real magic. And that's kind of what I thought about when I could see the dog doing it. Cause I thought you're talking to the dog and he'd explain to him, you know, we're different species and you know, like it takes time to condition the dog and train the behavior. And, you know, like he took time to learn from someone else. So the information and the access to w- that we had, I'm talking, you know, 40 years ago now. I was probably, or, or longer, I'm, I've just turned 50 the other day. So, you did. Um, Happy belated did, yeah. birthday. Thank you very much. And um, so it's it's a, I'm talking a long time ago and this was pre-internet, like even before the internet was a concept, you know. Mm-hmm. So you, the knowledge that you got was passed around between each other. It's the same way, you know, another one of my uncles, uh, Uncle Ray, he used to have a, a farm with sheepdog. I know I'm sort of digressing over from story to story, but these people used to get together in communities and discuss it. You either, you know, you buy a book or, or, or something like that because dog training was something gypsies did, you know, like this was something that working dog people did or gypsies did in circuses to entertain people. So it wasn't um, a favorable or really a recognized pastime. Like people did go to dog training and, you know, I mean, I know it's probably been around in North America much longer than it's been in Australia and probably even longer in Europe uh, in, in countries like that, where some of the really strong roots and origins come from. And most of our, um, our better knowledge has derived from as well. So he, you know, like he did what most people did. He went and learned it and he went and um, applied it and made a lot of mistakes. And by no means was was he a fabulous dog trainer. He was a great hunter and fisherman, but he did enough um, to suffice on what he did. So he, he brokered my interest in dog training. He was the one that made me think, well, you know, there's something really fun about this and there's an attraction to it. And I always loved animals. I loved being outdoorsy and I loved, um, you know, like any time we'd go to the zoo, I always wanted to know about, yeah. you know, where the animal came from and what it, and what its origins were and, and why it was in the zoo and, you know, like, and learning about endangered species and so forth. But, you know, getting more and more into it, into it, when we started getting family dogs, I always wanted to do things with them. I'd see people do tricks on TV. And back then we had this uh, funny, uh, eccentric old dog trainer called Barbara Woodhouse. And not many people would remember her because, you know, again, she's pre-internet way back in the time when dog training wasn't cool. But Barbara Woodhouse, she was very proper English and she used to walk down the street and say, okay, everybody, getting our dogs together, now walk is. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You know it? Do you know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. she was all big about enunciation, like sit. Like you don't say sit, can you sit? It's sit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She was the Mary Poppins of dog training. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's what we kind of had access to back in the day. And I remember once at one stage, we got our first type of, of working dog. We got a German shepherd female. And I remember my mum saying to us, you know, like we ha- we need to be responsible. We've got to make sure that we put training into these dogs. And at one stage we lived up in the, in the hilly region of, of Victoria, which is in the Southern East coast of Australia and on the Southern point of, of Australia down in, in where Melbourne is. Melbourne is the capital down there. And we, she used to roam free at that sort of stage. And she was quite a, um, 
she was quite a drivey dog, but I would also say if I reflected on it now, she had a little bit of a nerve issue as well. So she used to bite people um, quite quite frequently, which wasn't a good thing. Um, and it was generally when they came to our house. But back then you could get away with it. Now you'd probably be in court for it or you'd certainly have um, a huge issue with the council. I don't know So when we moved that, to man. another place, mum said to me, <laughs> Not in What's America. That? I don't know about that. Not in America. People fucking have dogs that bite all the time. All I, the time. I live with one. <laughs> in, in Australia, it's not. It's it's not uh, excused. Like we can't. I think in in certain countries you can hide behind a constitution a little bit every now and then, which I'm not debating whether it's a right or yeah. wrong thing, but in Australia, they don't, you know, we don't have a constitution to protect us the same way as other, you know, your country or other countries do. We just right. don't have it. Right. Um, so in those sort of situations, the council will come in and basically um, make, turn your life upside down. So it's up to you. The burden of, of um, uh, the burden of innocence is, what, not, well, not, not the burden of innocence, what's it called? The burden of proof. That's what I'm saying. The burden of proof is upon you then to prove that your dog acted in, you know, a, a, in a self-defense manner or a, a manner defending somebody it knows, um, which is funnily enough, I've had to go and defend people in court for those type of things. Yeah. Um, and, and it can get a little crazy. But back then, you know, Al Shepard, she, she nailed a few people and mum said to me at one stage when we moved, you know, we really should look into doing some training with her. So I went off to a local obedience club and I often refer to this in a lot of podcasts that I do or when I'm doing interviews with people or even when I'm talking to students, I learned how not to treat people and how not to train dogs. It was a, t- it was a terrible environment. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the foundation to what they were teaching. It was the actual instructors. Um, mm. They made me feel very small and they robbed a lot of my joy out of having a relationship with my dog because I really felt like I was a shit person, you know, and they really rained that down on me that I was a, a shit human being. And I, you know, I'd love to go back and travel back in time knowing what I know now and sit that person down and saying, you know, it's actually you that inspired me to push beyond this. Like at one stage I almost felt broken by this person, but I believe that person also inspired me to want to do it so much better because when I got the opportunity later in life, right. When I, when I lost my mind at one stage, there was a time in my life where, where I was a young guy, you know, I was in my prime. Um, and I really reached, um, a success point, you know, like I I became well known in my, in my tribe at that point in time. And I got to a point where I was being ridiculous and arrogant because I didn't know how to deal with that level of, um, what would you say? Popularity, I guess. It never been, it's like, it's like young kids these days who, you know, suddenly they get pushed into a limelight and they just don't know how to deal with it and they go off the rails. Well, I went off the rails a bit and I started treating people poorly and there was a stage where a colleague of mine, a guy called Alec Jones, um, helped pull me out of that that mire. But I also reflected on the time that I went to this obedience centre and this particular instructor treated me so poorly that I ref- I thought to myself, why would I do something to other people that I've had such an issue with for most of my life? Why would I then reflect upon them and treat them the same way? So there are there are times where if you're lucky enough, you'll hear a huge pop and that's when your head pulls out of your ass mm-hmm. um, or ass <laughs> as what, you guys in America say. Yeah, it just yes. goes. 
I am. Like I am. That. I'm very familiar with that noise. I I heard it a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, oh, my bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it out of here now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's better, and it's and it's and it smells much better too. Yeah. It really um, does. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the, how your head just wants to like crawl back in that hole a lot of times too. It's absolutely. Just- <laughs> well, what's comfortable is comfortable, you know, right. and that's that's the that's the difficulty in in life in general yeah. is when you when you get into a comfort stage of life, even when you're treating people badly or even when you are being a dick. Um, if it's comfortable for you, it mm-hmm. feels like the shoe fits and you want to wear it. Yeah. Uh, and 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 sometimes you think to yourself, well, I know myself as that person, you know, like what if what if I don't what if this unfamiliar territory that I'm starting to navigate into now? What if this is a is a a very uncomfortable state of life? You know, what if I what if I don't make it as this new emergence of a person? But the the wonderful thing is is you can you can you when you do change and when you become a lot more um, vulnerable and you become a lot more authentic in the way that you treat people, you attract a hell of a lot more people to you. You know, like, you know, attraction for the right reasons is, is fantastic other than trying to insult people into liking you or keeping them small so you can feel big. And, you know, and, and I, I shamefully, shamefully, I, I did that. I actually did that for a period of time. So for, for people like Alec and this other instructor that, I often refer to, I, I appreciate both those people for different reasons. It's because I can reflect back and realize that they both helped me to be a better person. Yeah. Yeah. They helped you awesome. about answering your question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, they helped you realize that your ego was out of, out of, out whack. of control. It was yeah. out of whack just to yeah. bring it back to a recent episode of yours. Um, that with was a really Birdie. fun. Yeah. With Birdie, that mm-hmm. was a really fun conversation just for our listeners. Just so y'all know, they, so we're not talking about inside jokes or anything. Um, <laughs> Bertie Oshidi is a um, clinical, former clinical psychologist who they have on the show regularly. She's a wonderful person. I've referenced her on this show before. She still is. She and still is. <clears throat> she's um, a regular guest on their show and they were talking about the ego um, and what it is and um, how it kind of gets in the way because the ego is an important component of everybody's psyche, right? It, mm. it's, it's a necessary component. But it's really easy to let it kind of get away um, and run away. And that whole like, you know, pulling your head out of your ass thing is it happens. Sometimes you need somebody to, to give you that wake up call. Um, yeah, I think it doesn't happen. It's not once it'll happen. It might happen several times. And, you know, like if, if you've got a good enough colleague in your life, a good enough friend or mentor that is gently trying to persuade you to consider that. Maybe listen to what they're saying. Um, yeah. You know, like people who care about you usually want the best for you and they're not trying to drag you down or they're not trying to keep you small. They're trying to help you reach your potential. You know, they're yeah. trying to make you understand that the way that you're behaving currently is damaging to your brand or your persona or your general person. Yeah. Does Glenn know? Does Glenn know my life? <laughs> He's a I, uh, fucking savant, man. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I I lost a really good friend a couple of years ago because she had her head really far up her ass and I was like, "Friend, I I am reaching out to you because I love you and I want the best for you, but I need you to realize that your perspective right now is bad. You're looking at shit. Yep. You don't realize it. You need to pull your head out a little bit." And she it's still in there, honestly. And um, it sucks. And it's something that I still have to deal with, unfortunately, even though I was like, you know, I'm going to have to walk away here. 
I mm. still, it still comes up. Yeah. yeah it's a small that, world. I mean, and, and that's, and that's hurtful. It's, it's very hurtful because I mean, as I said before, it's very comfortable to remain in that position because you've, you've become accustomed to that comfort level of, of being that person and, and growing up that way. And I mean, we, you know, like we talk about in dog training quite frequently, how we use shaping as a process to create new behaviors in dogs. And we are shaped ourselves, you know, through our interaction with our parents, our mentors, our school teachers, you know, if you're, if you're involved in religion, if you're involved in community, the people around you will have uh, a compounding effect on who you become as a person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be toxic and it's just, it, you know, look, as I said before, you know, it, it doesn't matter what age you are. I mean, just because I'm a certain age and I'm, I might be older than you guys or younger than other people at varying times in your life, you, you, it's, it's really up to you to do a self audit on your own behavior and realize, you know, is this really the best way? Is this the nicest way to be inclusive with people? And, and that's why, you know, there are so many problems going on now is because a lot of people you know, don't consider other people around them. They're, they're very inconsiderate of other people around them. And, you know, just because I'm talking eloquently at the moment, it doesn't mean that I'm always an eloquent person. Right. You know, sometimes, um, you know, Narelle and I have talked sometimes and, and she will be a, a person says, you know, like sometimes you contradict yourself because you'll say <laughs> this and you, and you do this. And, Norella's just for our listeners, Norella's his wife, just so you know. Yes, my wife. Yes. Who sometimes is on our show as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, you know, like uh, and I know that the reason why she she says that to me is because she cares deeply about me and and uh, you know, and it, sometimes my my behavior might might affect her. And um, you know, dependent on a relationship in a home. Um, I know this is getting deep in the weeds and it's not quite dog training stuff. It's a but super it's serious relate- podcast. It's okay. Yeah, super serious. It's a super serious. That's right. It's super serious, but it's all related to behavior. And, and yeah. you know, this is having a relationship with your, with your dogs is also in, in having a la- relationship with yourself and other people around you as well. Yeah. But um, I, I forget the point I was trying to make. I was waffling and I... I <laughs> That's I what you get for waffling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but you do make a lot of good points though. I mean... Right. Like, so a lot of times Courtney, Courtney and I have both experienced this and I'm sure you have as well. We're like, mm. sometimes you can, you can see all the signs, all the hallmark signs of a poor relationship or poor relationships within a household. Right. Yep. So a poor relationship between the person and the dog, a poor relationship between the person and the other people in the house. And you have to fix all of that. You have to be their therapist, their counselor, their dog trainer, partially sometimes a yeah. babysitter too, because you can't control their kids. And you said something pretty early on um, about you being a kid and how your uncle explained things to you. He didn't infantilize, right? He wasn't like, oh yeah, sometimes dogs are brown, you know, Mm. but he was like, yeah. Puppies are silly. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) right. Um, And honestly, like more often than not, I can tell a lot about how my relationship with my clients are going to be based on how they talk to each other, how they talk to mm, the kids. Absolutely. Like if, if I see somebody being like, you have to go poo poo in your pee pee. And I'm just like, Oh my fucking God. <laughs> and like, it's like, I don't judge them too hard. Right. Because there's also different developmental stages. Like you have to use the language that your, your kids can use sometimes. And like, you know, maybe, maybe they're dealing with shit that I can't comprehend. Cause I'm not a parent. Right. Mm. But at the same time, as an outside observer, I've seen parents that go, hey, do you need to use the restroom to the same age child? Yeah. Right? So 
in my head, it's kind of like there's there's a, there's a difference, right? And 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 it's a choice on how you communicate with one another. Absolutely, and it's there's no problem in talking. Um, I, I think it can be damaging. And I'm going to go on a whim, add on a add on a wing here, and say I'm not a specialist in this area, but it's just my own observations. I think that it can be damaging to children to talk to them in too much baby language ongoing. Uh, I think kids need to be kids, and they need to be allowed to play and express themselves, and and you know reach their own ceiling. And the the role of a parent should be that they're not trying to be the child's best friend, that they're there Mm -hmm. to be a mentor and they're there to counsel, not counsel them through life. That's poor choice. (laughs) They're there to shape them through life. What they're there to do is saying, okay, here's a bunch of shit that I've done throughout my life that I know would be damaging, but I'm still going to let you experience some ups and downs, some trials and tribulations as you're going through. And this is fundamentally as dog trainers, what we need to do with our puppies and dogs, you know, Pat and I were just talking about this not long ago in that we really need to allow that expression to happen without the manifestation of bad behavior connected to it. So, you know, we, we need to, we need to coach them and shape them into how you will fit into society without having to be a yes person, without having to break you, without having to rob you of personality and, you know, the the wonderful array of choices that may be exhibited to you, you know, and th- that's what else, that's what I think happens in schools a lot is they try and um, pigeonhole you into a certain area. And I think that's um, limiting on, on intelligence and um, capability. And that's, that's what I try and, um, especially when people are trying to get involved in, I'm switching in between humans and dogs here, but especially when people are trying to get involved in certain aspects of sport training as well, is that people need to allow drive expression to happen. So they're not capping the dog later on in their life. Yeah, absolutely. I always wonder about that in terms of like um, trainers who pigeonhole or typecast themselves or sort of naturally become typecasted, right? Where it's mm. like you have a Rottweiler, so now you're the Rottweiler guy or I, I have border collies and people assumed I was a trick person. They were like, oh, you want to learn tricks? Like, can you just teach me tricks? And I'm like, what is this? Why do people come to me for tricks? Why are people sending me videos of other dogs doing tricks on the internet being like, hey, your dog's going to do this? <laughs> it was really weird. I, I never, I mean, I did teach them tricks, but like it wasn't, I didn't make a big deal about it. Everyone yeah. else mm. just assumed yeah. that like, that's what I love teaching. And I was like, no, I like yeah. behavior. I mean, I can teach tricks, but yeah. I like behavior. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you can see up in the back there, there's a Rottweiler picture behind me that my good friend David Oakley um, painted. Um, it's a picture of a dog that I actually bred. And for a long period of time, I was the Rottweiler guy. Like the the dogs that were predominantly coming to me was Rottweilers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was the training director for a long time for the, the Victorian Rottweiler Club as well. So my life, um, and that was my, um, you know, that was my passion that I was behind. I, I was very, very keen on helping um, problematic Rottweilers or Rottweilers in general. So it wasn't just problematic Rottweilers. I, we were helping dogs um, to trial and to do dog sports and everything like that. I, I, I just love, I love Rottweilers. I adore them. But that doesn't mean that I won't train any other dog as well. I mean, I've been involved in training everything from chihuahuas to giant um, uh, wolfhounds, yeah. you know, like in, in incredibly large dogs to incredibly small dogs and everything in between. Um, but 
and, and at one stage in my career, I thought that I could do everything and train everything. And that was that ego and that arrogance coming behind me where I'd have a go at anything and like even fields that I had no knowledge and no specialty. And I'd just say, oh yeah, I'll do it. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that knows everything about dog training. If, you, if it's a dog and it's training, I'm the guy. But now I won't do that. Now I know, you know, like if somebody rings me up and says, oh, can you train my dog in agility? No, I'm not your guy. Yeah. I know, you know, uh, two girls down the road who are absolute geniuses at that. Here's the number. Go and see them. You waste your time and efforts on me. Yeah. Um, and and that, I think that's what dog trainers around the world really need to understand is don't let your ambitions get mixed up with your capabilities. Yeah. If it's not your field, don't be that stupid person who just proceeds with it. If you do have, like, I think the, the best thing is to be honest with the person and just say, here's what I can do. Here's, yep. this is, this is what's in my, um, my bag of tricks. And this is what I can work with you. Yeah. Like I could lay a foundation and teach you some things, but yep. they have way more tricks up their sleeve. Go, go down the road, go to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, that's something I've never struggled with in terms of like, I, I've always gladly referred stuff out. Like I, if I can't do it, then that doesn't mean nobody can. That's, that's mm. preposterous to think. Um, but unfortunately there's a lot of trainers, especially here in America that I'm aware of that, that do that. I mean, there's a couple in Austin. Um, there's a guy who's like, I'm the only person that does blank. And I'm that like, is, no, you're that is not such dude. an annoying statement to me. Cause I'm like, yeah. no, you're not there. You don't know what every other trainer is doing and there's right. no way right. you're not reinventing the wheel. We're all training dogs and sure. <laughs> our methods and our approaches may be a little different. Our specialties may be different, but you're Which not is the hilarious. only guy doing anything. Cause you would think that like, it, okay. So let's say it was back in the day before the internet, right? Like that could be a plausible statement. You could be the only person doing that because maybe you read the perfect combination of books and then you developed your own method completely and you developed it and crafted it for years and years and years and you never shared it with anybody then. Yeah. But like, honestly, at the end of the day, all the dog training stuff just kind of trickles down and falls into the same holes at the bottom of the, below the pegs, like mm. little, little Pachenko reference there. Um, but you know, like it, it's, it's, even like there's so many times where people ask like Courtney, is that a Chad Mackin thing? Did you get that from this person or that person or whatever? And she's like, no, they, I just, they want me to cite my sources when I'm just having a conversation or like we're watching dogs and I'm like, Oh, it looks like, you know, you need to do this a little more. And they're like, Oh, like the so-and-so technique. And I'm like, I, I'm not sure um, who that is, <laughs> but it's what I think you should do with the dog. So try that. Mm. <laughs> Well, and here's the thing, right, is that we all borrow from each other and we right, always have absolutely. for many years. You know, like when when Skinner and Pavlov and Thorndike and the Braylands and everybody were experimenting and all those behaviorists that we've all borrowed and stolen their information from them. Yep. I mean, you know, these are wells that we all accessed and we all formulated uh, a, a technique from. And there's a lot of, there's so many really, really great dog trainers around the world. There really is. And a lot of times where people are getting caught up in it, it's just attraction to marketing. You know, it's people using, and, and they, they paraphrase their sentences really well. You know, there are people who really, um, they put a lot, a lot, a hell of a lot of time and research into their institutional knowledge. And they really produce uh, a, 
a fantastic outcome. And there are a lot of people who just use a lot of buzzwords and it's just, you know, it's it's built around the basis of marketing and it's very attractive to people and there's just so much content that they're doing that people think, well, you sound like the guy, I'm going to go with you, you're the guy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that, that's, it's, we just, we did an episode not long ago on the canine paradigm with a guy called Matthew Boone, who it's our last episode on called the sales sniper. Yep. Anybody who has a dog training business, um, most of us are shit marketers. Yeah. We, it's just a matter of fact. We, we build our business around a passion and then we don't yeah. look at the aspect of this is really a business where I have to pay tax. I have to, you know, like I'm now feeding myself on my dog training business. Well, you do have to know about sales and marketing, even if it sounds icky and pooey mm-hmm. that you have to talk about the fact that you're doing business. You are doing business. If you're trading services for income, you're in a business. Yep. So you should know how to do that business well and have a holistic approach to it, not just be a good dog trainer, but also be good at looking after your business and being able to pay yourself, pay your taxes, not get yourself into trouble. And instead yep. of you know eating two-minute noodles, you should be able to eat comfortably and have um, pride in your capability. So, you know, but um, there are people out there who are who are less than good dog trainers, but they're fantastic marketers. Mm-hmm. Like they really pump out some magnificent content. And, you know, this is, people have been surviving in, not just in dog training, but all aspects of the world, around the world for many years, they've been getting by on peddling snake oil. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the it's the new wonder cure. And people will buy it because these people really know how to make people buy. You know, they they say things that people want to hear and they make you believe that this is this is the magic product, the magic pill that's going to solve all your problems. And people will yeah. eat it right up. Yep. Courtney and I both worked for a, <laughs> for a company where we got a lot of sales training. And honestly, like, had we not done that, had I not done that, like I, I'd be horrified of owning my own business and trying to sell myself. Like, yeah, it did. It, it did teach yucky. me a lot, but in my first, we would do like role plays where it was like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, one of your coworkers is going to pretend to be a client. You're going to sell to them. In my first like three, I cried because I was like, <laughs> I can't, I can't do this. I don't, I because they would give me like one pushback question and I'd be like, I mean, you know, maybe it's not for you. And I just, I would fold like really fast. And they were like, you're not supposed, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to keep pushing and find a way around and don't let them leave without paying. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that seems rude. I don't want to do that. If they want to go home and think about it, they should. I would want to go home and think about it. That's a lot of money, you know, Mm -hmm. because at the time I, I wasn't making as much money as I ended up making, but I was like, that's, that was more than I could afford. Yep. It, it's confronting too. I mean, yeah. thinking it sometimes it feels so invasive to try and sell to people. However, um, when people are ringing, ringing around and going and looking at things, they've got purchase in their mind. Yeah. You know, like when I when I leave home and go down to a shop, I don't go there just to fill in time. I go there with the belief that I'm possibly going to buy something. Yeah, you know my. Narelle doesn't like it when I go, there's a shopping center close to us called Castle Towers and they've got an Apple store in there and everything like that. And Narelle really doesn't like it when I go down there because she, she knows <laughs> I'm going to come home with shit. You know, like she'll, she'll, she'll try and, and intervene me at the door when I'm trying to smuggle my bag yeah. of gadgets in to say, what did you get? And nope, you know, that like, has to go back, return it. <laughs> Go back she's not right that now. bad. She's a okay. she's a she's a really good wife. Like she That's lets good. me have all my toys. Um, <laughs> but um, and, look, she knows I work hard for it, and and uh, you know, 
it, it's not like I'm, I'm not wasteful, but I I enjoy technology and shit like that. So she just likes yeah. to intervene me and yeah. make sure that I haven't auctioned the house off to go and buy something. Right. Ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Right. My husband has to deal with several Amazon boxes a week. <laughs> <laughs> like on, on trash day, he's always like so many boxes to break down. What do you yep. buy? And I'm like stuff for the business and myself. Mm. Yeah. Both. Okay. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. But if you want to hear more, you should check out our Patreon episode where we continue the conversation with Glenn. So you can go to patreon.com slash super serious dog podcast. If you can't support us financially, you're welcome to um, like, rate, share, subscribe, you know, tell everybody about us. Um, Help out. Help help some fellow industry people out. It really goes a long way to... You know, like you're not just investing in something you can do for yourself, but you're also investing in helping people um, present a message. And as these girls get more experience and they start to get more guests on the show, it gives a broader range uh, into the community for helping other budding people who are having problems with their dogs. Speaking of sales. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing it out there. I love it, Glenn. That was beautifully done. We really appreciate having you. Uh, it's been yeah. it's been fun to talk to you, and yeah. I can't yeah. wait to talk, to talk to you, to you more in yeah. like a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, I love both you girls. You really, I think you're doing a great thing. Oh, thank awesome. you so much. And, and I love Austin too. I've been there once. I, I've been out to Austin once, and it's really a beautiful city. It's really you're welcome pretty. to come back, but not yeah. right now. Yeah, you're not allowed yeah, to leave come right for now, something. I, I I will definitely be back there one day. I really enjoyed myself. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. We always dance. You don't have to dance. Oh. (laughs) There's music that plays. Nice.